Well, it is um, the beginning of the Easter season, and this morning we're starting a new series up on the screen entitled, Risen for a Reason for You. When you stop and you think about all that happened and all that Easter is about, all of the truths, all of the things that came out of, of what happened during the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we arrive at that place where everything took place for Jesus to become your Savior and your Lord. And we're going to be looking specifically throughout this entire series at what happened in the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. Things that he said, things that he did, that he wanted us to get to grasp, to know. They contain incredible truth, a tremendous power. And they were all fulfilled. All of the things that he shared were fulfilled through his death and through his resurrection. And we're going to start in John 13 this morning. We're going to be reading verses 12 to 17 in just a moment. Maybe some of you are aware that that um, is a count, John 13, the count of, of the washing of the feet. So, so Jesus is at the Last Supper, and he washes his disciples' feet. But, but I want to, to share with you a little bit about background before we actually read that passage. Maybe some of you remember last week as, as Pathy, uh, Pastor Kathy shared her message. She spoke that, and it was about terrifying greatness, spoke about the fact that the disciples had this thing going. They were arguing about who would be the greatest. And that had been fueled by a, a, a couple of different things. First of all, um, James and John's mom went to Jesus and asked if they would have places of greatness. You know, can you put a special... Just like a mom, always looking out for the best for their children, right? But, but this caused a little bit of a stir. And this is about place and prominence. And then, of course, there was, and it was a passage that she um, shared truth from about what we know as a transfiguration. Jesus goes up on the Mount of Olives, and Moses and Elijah appears to him, and only three went. James, John, and Peter. And so all of this just adds fuel to the fire. They're arguing, they're arguing. And that's what they're doing at the start of the meal and then during the meal, the Last Supper. And Jesus is seeing it. And, and I think about that moment. You know, because he knows, he knows that in just a short, short time, he's going to die. He's not going to be with him anymore. He shared it with them. They're not really getting that. And then he's hearing them arguing about who would be great. And I think about what's going through his head and through his heart. As he just sits silently and he watches, he takes it all in. Well, finally, he has enough. I'm reading verses 4 and 5. He gets up and he leaves. And he comes back with pitcher of water, a basin, and a towel. Not too uncommon, at least not if you were them, because those were articles that you'd find in the entry of every home. 
And if you were entering into a home in that day of somebody who was a little bit wealthy, it'd really become apparent to you. You couldn't miss them because there'd be a servant there that would then use them to wash your feet. And, and I want you to think about that for a minute and maybe just kind of flush that out for a moment before we get into the passage because that's exactly what Jesus did. But think about the job. I just picture that if there's multiple servants in this house, they're all drawn straws. Short stick loses, they get that job. See, they didn't, you know, park in a parking lot on the way to church or to a home. It was all dirt. They didn't drive their car to church or to work. They walked or maybe rode an animal. And their feet got really, really dirty. They had open-toed sandals, you know, don't have cool shoes, you know, and like Feet really dirty, and this too, this is what I think about sometimes. You know, they shared the roads with animals. Yeah, think about it for a minute. One inadvertent step. Oh, no. I don't know if you've ever done that. So a lot of stuff on feet. Jesus goes, gets the pitcher of water, the base, and the towel. He comes back. And he starts washing their feet. And and I picture that moment as well. Um, They're confused. What what is he doing? It's one of Jesus, he, he always kept them guessing. They never knew quite what he was up to. This one really confused them. And I and I think was kind of like stunning. And, and, And they were bewildered because they they believe Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, and he's here washing their feet. What's, what's going on with that? Peter's the only one who speaks up, and he says, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And, and you know the conversation there between 8 and 11, and, 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 and um, Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. Then he says, wash my whole body, and Jesus says, no, you don't need that. And then he says, I'll explain it to you. I'll explain it to you in just a few moments. They got it, and brothers and sisters, as I read these words, it is my deep hope that all of us here do as well. Listen to the word and the truth of the great Lord our God. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is who I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know these things, you would be blessed if you do them. This is the word of God. Might it be written in our hearts and lived in our lives. So what's the very first thing that Jesus does? He, he washes their feet, and then he takes the, the pitcher, the basin, and the towel back. What's the first thing that he does? He, he asks them if they got it. He, he, he washes their feet, he leaves, he comes back, and he says, so... Did you understand what just happened? 
Did you get it? I think that's important. Sometimes when things happen, where somebody's trying to teach us something, it's a little bit tough to arrive at. And I think in that moment when he's asking them that, again, I'm envisioning them, and maybe it's one of those awkward moments because they really don't get it. They don't say anything. And maybe they're thinking, maybe they're scratching their heads, you know, they're trying to figure it out. Okay, so now he washed our feet. What was that all about? I don't know. I feel really bad. I'm not getting it, Jesus. I'm sorry. But... And then this awkward silence, they're just not connecting the dots. Have you ever been there where, where somebody has done something for you or, or somebody's trying to teach you something and you're just not there, you're just not grasping it, you're not getting it? That's kind of a, 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 not really an uneasy moment, but something where you're just like, man, I wish I did, I wish I got it, but I, I, I'm not there yet. So he explains. He explains in verses 13 to 15, but just what it is that he does. And I want to um, pause looking at verse 13 because I think this is really important. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is who I am. And, and have a couple of takeaways from that. So, so you hear those, those words just, just again for a moment. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Why would Jesus say that? And, and think about what that means for us in, in the world as followers of Jesus. Jesus has no problem claiming his identity. He has no problem saying, I'm teacher and Lord, that's right. I am your teacher and your Lord. I am the Messiah, I am the Christ. No qualms about it whatsoever. Even though he just washed their feet, the, the worst of the worst jobs. And so I want you to think about that in terms of living in the world and conversations. You know, one of the things that, that I'll be honest, troubles me, and I think of the words of Psalm 116. Do you, do you know what that maybe? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of salvation unto all who believe. And I, and I watch followers of Jesus Christ go out into the world and, and engage in conversations and be confronted about what they believe, and it's like they wilt. And, and can't own up to truth. You know, we had the privilege of incredible truth, powerful truth. And, and yet there's this kind of like, uh, 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 and I'm like, what's going on? When it comes to truth, we've been given the privilege of it, of knowing it, a word, truth. And that title, Followers of Jesus, it means something. And it means something in terms of what we've been revealed. And so when somebody would say, oh, you're a Christian, and then they proceed to bash our beliefs, we've well, got to stand up. Yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, let me tell you what that means. So there's one takeaway. The other takeaway is I think about what happens immediately after he says that. He, he set an example. And I thought about his words, and I thought about what happens when somebody would let you know who they are in terms of a position of power or title and authority. How often does it happen in the world in which we live? Virtually zero. 
When somebody is reminding you that they're your boss, right, they're doing it for a reason, or that they have power or title over you, or that they hold a position, they're they're doing it for something radically different than what Jesus was trying to teach them. And that's the, that's the takeaway. And so when, when people share that in the world, we're ready for them to either unload or do something and say, you know what, this is who I am. And I, I think of maybe boss and work situations and like, don't you ever forget it. Jesus does something that is unforgettable. But it's not what we see in the world. He says, I'm your teacher and your Lord, you're right. That's who I am. But what I did, I did to set an example for you, to teach you a truth about greatness. He says, I've set an example. tells them then to do as he has done. You know, verse 16 um, makes another statement about the servant not being greater than the master. So he's saying, I'm, I'm master, Lord. Servant's not greater than the master. Do you see what he's telling them? He's, he's really saying or, or asking them when, when he's about the, and the messenger not greater than the one who sent him. He, he's saying to them, are you greater than me? And so I ask the question, are any of us, anybody here greater than Jesus? I didn't see anybody raise their hand. Praise God, I didn't want any lightning bolts to come to the ceiling. That would have not been good. He's really spelling it out. As we're saying, since you're not greater than me, I hope you got it. I hope you're listening to what it is that I'm teaching you. Because if I was willing to wash your feet, that's what you ought to do. You want to know what real greatness is? You spent hours arguing about it. My ears were filled with your words. I just showed you what it means to really be great. Brothers and sisters in Christ, would that not be awesome if that were true in the world today? If people understood what real greatness was all about, if we did? I stop and I think for a moment of people who are in position and have power and authority. And it's not hard to do in the world in which we live and with all the things that are going on and with all of the the constant stream of information we get about world leaders and powerful figures. And I think, is that really what greatness looks like? And the answer is no. I'm not saying that disrespectfully. I'm saying that about truth. What we see happen in the claims and the bravado, I just got to say, it just doesn't fit. It's a very difficult thing to, 
to deal with that one level. And how I wish that it'd be understood that real greatness doesn't come just because you have a title. Real greatness doesn't come just because you possess authority. Real greatness doesn't come because you can dunk a basketball more than anybody else. Real greatness doesn't come because you can throw a football or win Super Bowls. Real greatness doesn't come because you hit home runs. Real greatness doesn't come because you're in all kinds of movies and you sing platinum songs. See, that's how the world has perceived what it is, and that's why even, even then it was still the same way, why they didn't get who Jesus was. Because when he said that he was the, the Messiah, the King, they had a whole other perception of it. He, he wasn't raised in a palace. He didn't have the pedigree. And, and then when he grew up, he didn't walk with all the right people. He didn't surround himself with all the power brokers. He didn't walk with the elite. No, he walked with the poor and the oppressed. He didn't have high power meetings. According to them, he didn't meet with all. He met with the sinners, the unclean. They were looking for all kinds of great things in, in terms of unleashing a power. He put mud on people's eyes. You see the difference? And unfortunately, in the world today, I, I, I have to admit, at times myself, but I, I think the world and, and even the church, the body of Jesus Christ, gets sucked into the world's definition of greatness. It's radically different. And, and Jesus is trying to, to teach us something. very distinctly, very clearly about what it really means to be great. Greatness is about humility and service. About following Jesus, about being, what that means and what that looks like. We, we have a lot of information to figure out what that means. And just looking at the life of Jesus Christ, all of the things that he did, you see, that, that's one of the things. He, he washed their feet. He, he picked up a pitcher, a basin, and a towel. But he had already demonstrated in so many different ways by the way that he lived his life what true greatness was really all about. They had been with him day in and day out for three years. Maybe this was the last act that would finally help it sink in. I don't know what it would take for them, but they did have a course, you, you know. He's telling them about what true greatness is all about, and then he demonstrates it again at a whole other level. He gets beaten to near death. He has his flesh shredded. And then he died a death in the most brutal and torturous way that the Romans who were masters at it could invent to demonstrate what true greatness was all about. Because he got beaten. He died on the cross humbly, gracefully, 
for you and for me. I hope that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, can grasp what it means to be great. Verse 17, I'll close with with these words. You know what he did? You see the tools of the trade. You hear what he said. I've set an example. And then he says this, verse 7, I'll read it again. 17, excuse me. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Might it be? Gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the life and example of Jesus. And Lord, in a world that's lost and hurting, but it's so deeply loved by you, it's my hope and my prayer that we would indeed display true greatness where we work, where we live, in our schools, in our families. That we would be people who humbly follow you, that are firm in terms of who we are, strong in our faith, convicted, not about being trampled on, oh God, but about demonstrating what it means to be a servant of Jesus Christ, a follower. Fill us, O Lord, with your spirit. Lord, if we get caught up in us, self-absorption, remind us again of what it needs to have happen in that moment and, and what it means to be great. just let you fill our hearts, our thoughts, so that our hands and our feet would move and we would be. We ask these things in your holy and your precious and your awesome name. Amen.